Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And if you don't read the morning jolt, you should know that you need to read Between Two Scorpions, because Jim is already working on the follow-up novel. And so if you're not familiar with what happened in Between Two Scorpions... You're going to be lost, and you don't want to be lost. So get a copy of Between Two Scorpions. It'll be worth your time. Believe me, um, I I am genuinely thinking about this. There was an old editor at Marvel Comics who argued that every issue was somebody's first issue. So your first one or two scenes should be an entry point to somebody who's never read anything about this before, which on the one hand makes sense. On the other hand, for readers who have read the previous book, you don't want to rehash everything that happened. So... um, (laughs) I will try to make this accessible, but it makes it easier for me and everybody else if you read the first one. Plus, you know, I get money. <laughs> there's always that. So congratulations on the fact that there's a follow-up book and hopefully many more to come. Clearly, your writing ability is far superior to the Chicago Bears offense. And so... Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Hey, you know what? You guys are ready to play on Sunday. Problem is they have the game on Thursday. Oh, you know, stuck up on you. Hopefully two Sundays from now. But anyway, yeah, that wasn't too fun. But there's still 15 games left. All right, let's get to our good martini now, Jim. And it's not often that somebody dying is our good martini. It's usually reserved for people like Hugo Chavez or Kim Jong-il. I think Gaddafi might have gotten it, uh, even though the circumstances surrounding his death were less than uh, stellar. But uh, Robert Mugabe is dead. Robert Mugabe, the longtime dictator in Zimbabwe, Now, the mainstream media has got some issues here as they report this. For some reason, they're being more balanced in their Robert Mugabe obituary coverage than they were with David Koch. But uh, what are you going to do? They'll say that things like uh, Robert Mugabe was praised for broadening access to health and education for the black majority. But later years were marked by violent repression of his political opponents and Zimbabwe's economic ruin. You know, on the one hand and on the other hand, uh, John Fund, uh, as you point out in the Morning Jolt today, has a much better explanation of the hideous reign of Robert Mugabe uh, turning against other tribes in Zimbabwe just a couple years after taking control in 1980, resulting in the deaths of 20,000 people, then the ripping away of the farms from the white folks around 2000. Uh, increasingly crooked elections. He was finally deposed by the military a couple of years ago. But people who love freedom are not going to miss Robert Mugabe, Jim. No, and I think probably that's what's most interesting. Interesting because I'm also writing about something else with the banality of evil um, and how there, there's not a fascinating figure to study here. Uh, very familiar story of a guy who promised to be a revolutionary, promised to make things fair, got the power, and then became exactly the kind of monster he once claimed to stand against. Um, I think what's interesting is, is, you know, you ask people to list, you know, brutal, cruel dictators. Uh, They might go historical and think of Hitler as Stalin or Pol Pot. Uh, If you ask for more modern examples, they probably think of, you know, Saddam Hussein, maybe the Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, Last couple of years, I think you can say the Kim Jong-un and all the other dictators in North Korea have gotten a much higher profile. Robert Mugabe never got that much attention in the Western press. Certainly not that his name became a uh, well-known or the average person that walking down the street would recognize it. And I think that's interesting and revealing. Um, Now, some might say, you know, look, he said he was an anti-colonialist, you know, effectively leftist uh, leader. That's that's why the the American mainstream media is afraid to talk about this 
they don't like pointing out that the people who they once saw as the good guys can turn into the worst of bad guys. And there probably is some of that. I think you can also safely argue that the American media does not pay a lot of attention to Africa in general. And so as a result of that, you know, you don't, I, I remember making a reference to Idi Amin amongst friends before the uh, Forrest Whitaker movie came out. These were smart, well-educated people. None of them had heard of Idi Amin. Wow. And I'm sitting there thinking, he ate people, right? You, you'd think cannibalism would, as a world leader would, would make you would stand out a little bit. You think that's, you know, oh, here's something on the back of his baseball card you don't see every day. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but they hadn't, and that just kind of indicates, you know, some of the worst monsters in the world never really get the spotlight and you don't hear nearly as much about how, why they're bad as much as say <clears throat> the Koch brothers. Um, and so I think it's probably worth re-examining that. Uh, I also spotlight the work of, of Jay Nordlinger. You like Mugabe actually got deposed from power, uh, by one of his, uh, interior ministers and military generals who were afraid that his, uh, wife was going to take over when he died. They're in charge. They've been in charge since about 2017, and no, things really aren't that much better. Uh, human rights activist who spoke to Jay Nordlinger said, look, the driver has changed, but the bus is the same, and it's still going in the same direction. So, look, this is Zimbabwe. It is not the most important or strategic geopolitical corner of the world. It's not uh, near Europe. It's not near the United States. It's not near the economic centers of Asia. In a lot of people's eyes, it's not something that they need to pay attention to. And it's, it's somewhat understandable. The result of that is some of the world's greatest monsters operate with impunity. And in a world that can, you know, every other day they're denouncing Israel at the UN uh, and finding, you know, some other folks, that, oh, this is a terrible, great outrage, never really got all that motivated to confront Mugabe and what he was doing in Zimbabwe. And I think the world is a worse place for that, Greg. He's dead, so that's the good news. <laughs> Why does the media have such a hard time putting this record into the simple perspective that it ought to be. I mean, yes, initially he was fighting against um, the Zimbabwe, or at that point Rhodesian version of apartheid. But for the last 35 years of his rule, of 37 years, he was brutally repressive against blacks and whites uh, and was absolutely corrupt to the core. So why do we have to have this supposed 50-50 uh, split here on what his legacy is when it's pretty darn clear what it is? It's the difference between ideology and politics, which is that ideology, you know, you, you and I, if people ask, you know, Pence is fond of saying he's a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. Your ideology gives you ideas. Conservatism doesn't tell you that everyone who says they're conservative is going to be a good person. People are human beings. They are capable of being flawed, and people are capable of having great contradictions within them. Uh, you know, Richard Nixon comes to mind. You know, a lot of people say, oh, he, he opened the door to China and did some great things. He was a statesman. Uh, he could be the bad cop to a lot of presidents who could be good cop in his later years. But there's this little thing called Watergate, <laughs> you know, bombing of Cambodia. There's stuff in there to have, you know, objections to, to Nixon. Almost every leader has at least some side of their record that we're not terribly proud of. You and I adore Ronald Reagan. It's kind of hard to dispute that in Iran-Contra, Congress had explicitly said, you're not allowed to do this. And the Reagan administration did it anyway. And the question of whether Reagan was aware of it, well, I'm afraid I can't recall. <laughs> um, so, you know, the thing, if you want to recognize it, people are complicated. And that somebody who says they're on your side and says they stand for the right things, I want to get rid of the colonial oppressors, can turn around and be an oppressor himself. Well, acknowledging that realizes that not everybody who says they're colon you know, opposing colonial oppressors is a good guy or is going to turn out to be a good guy. Some people are just opportunists. I think if you wanted to summarize the entire 
complicated, messy, bloody history of communism in one sentence. You could say a bunch of people said they were going to make it fair when really they just wanted to be in charge of their own unfair system. That, that's basically communism in a nutshell. There's always an overclass. There's always special dotches for the Politburo members. And so, forth. so that's where we are. And it, so a lot of people really aren't comfortable acknowledging the fact that people can have contradictions in them and that the good guys don't always turn out to be good guys and the bad guys, you know, the people who are being demonized as bad guys, like the shadowy Koch brothers, as they're inevitably described, you know, can also do giant things like contribute a billion dollars to charity. All right, let's move on to our bad martini now, Jim. And it wasn't that long ago that Howard Schultz was pretty much beloved on the political left as CEO of Starbucks. He was pretty outspoken in support of pretty much every liberal social and cultural cause. And then earlier this year, he was exploring an independent bid for president of the United States. And every reaction from the liberal media and the Democratic Party was... (gasps) He could take votes away from a Democrat. He's officially evil. But now they don't have to worry because Howard Schultz, according to NBC News and Schultz himself, the former Starbucks CEO who had been weighing an independent presidential bid announced Friday that he will not run for president. Quote, my belief in the need to reform our two party system has not wavered, but I have concluded that an independent campaign for the White House is not how I can best serve our country at this time. Schultz said in a statement, Schultz added that the money he would have allocated to a campaign will instead be used to invest in people, organizations, and ideas that promote honesty, civility, and results in our politics, and that move the country beyond the two-party gridlock. Schultz announced in January he was exploring a possible independent run for president, but his presidential ambitions were widely criticized by Democrats, concerned that his bid would end up helping President Trump retain control of the White House. He's also been pretty much out of commission since April due to back surgery. So, Jim, I don't think either of us is real surprised by this, but uh, what do you make of the Howard Schultz phenomenon here over the past few months? Yeah, I actually think it's one of the more frustrating developments of the 2020 cycle. I was never particularly likely to vote for the guy, but I thought it was interesting, uh, in, in part because here you had a guy who up until very recently had been a Democrat in good standing, um, who was, you know, by most, he certainly had no love for the Republican Party, who vehemently opposed Donald Trump, but looked at what the Democratic Party was becoming. And I think you can say Bernie Sanders was the epitome of everything he did not like and uh, recoiled. He said, wait a minute. No, that's not what I stand for. Uh, that's not what I want. This was a guy who had spent his life in business and philosophy, in uh, philanthropy. And you read his book, you read about the sort of things he was saying. He still had a great deal of faith in the ability of business and philanthropy to help build a better society and a better world. There's not really a lot of room for this in the current uh, mentality of the Democratic Party. And if not that, then certainly on the angry Twitter left. And yet, so he does this. And again, this is a guy who has no, you know, other than the occasional talk about the joys of hard work and how a first job can give a kid purpose and direction in life. Uh, hiring veterans, you know, there, there are little smatterings that conservatives would applaud. But this guy was not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. Says he's thinking about running for president as an independent. And the left just turns, I mean, when I say the left, I don't just mean like angry people on Twitter um, and not just the, the yahoos who would run in and, you know, uh, heckle him and scream profanities during his speeches. All of a sudden, Stephen Colbert is making jokes about how bad the bathrooms at Starbucks are. Now, a week earlier, If you'd ask Stephen Colbert, what do you think of the bathrooms at Starbucks? I don't think he had much of an opinion on it. But the moment he needed a stick to hit Howard Schultz with, Stephen Colbert was jumping on board. There's probably no more vivid example of how you can go from 
just a you know liked, respected CEO guy, you know, generally promoting progressive causes, to public enemy number one than what happened to Howard Schultz. Now, you can pretty much make the argument that Howard Schultz was really only interested in standing up against the, the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. In fact, he had reportedly been on the short list to be labor secretary if Hillary Clinton had won the 2016 presidential election. And yet somehow the, the, the sudden reaction is so strong. The first thing is when he said he had a serious back injury and it was going to keep him off the campaign trail for summer. A lot of people looked at it and said, huh, this is not the move of a guy who's got a burning fire in the belly and all that stuff. And it's also worth noting. Yeah. Okay. If he had back surgery, all right, that hurts. That's that, you know, you're going to have some recovery time for that, man. He, you, you didn't see any op-eds written by him. You right. didn't see social media accounts being updated. Howard Schultz for president just, you know, a switch was flipped and it just disappeared. And in fact, about a week ago, I realized I hadn't heard anything about Howard Schultz in a, a month. I actually saw his book sitting on my bookshelf as the only reminder I had. Inquired with his people, got no reply, which I should have interpreted as a sign that Howard Schultz 2020 was soon to be no more. Today, here comes the official announcement. He's out. Um, and there's a part of me that's a little irked by this because like, Howard, can I call you Howard? Howard, they decided to trash you because you had the audacity for stand up for what you believe and the possibility, not the certainty, but the remote possibility that you were going to cost Democrats the presidency in 2020. And for that, they decided to destroy you and nothing else you did in your life mattered. Nothing else you were saying mattered. You had to be villainized as this terrible ah billionaire. And you walked away. I kind of wanted to see you fight him, Howard Schultz. I kind of wanted to see you say, oh, oh, I'm the bad guy. You want to see me be the bad guy? I got a billion dollars. I can run as many ads trashing what you want as I can. My guess is in six months, everybody will forget all about this. And he'll go back to being the respected, liked, you know, former CEO of Starbucks. And he'll, you know, be on his panel discussions and give his speeches. And life will go back to normal for Howard Schultz. But I think the fact of how the Democratic Party responded to what effectively amounts to an internal criticism uh, is very revealing for the rest of us. Absolutely fascinating just how badly and quickly he was trashed because there was rumors that he would run as a Democrat initially. And then he talked about how he was obviously launching this exploratory effort as an independent. Until that moment, the idea of Howard Schultz for president wasn't that anathema to Democrats because he'd just be one of this field of two dozen plus. Ah, but then when he wasn't one of the Democrats in the field, then he became the pariah. It's worth noting, there's not a ton of political real estate standing between Howard Schultz and Tom Steyer. Tom right. Steyer is the left-wing billionaire who wants to, you know, roughly once a year finds some uh, new, new hobby he wants to, you know, dump his fortune into. Uh, first, it was global warming and climate change, and then it was, uh, you know, we got to impeach the president. And now Tom Steyer is running for president. By the way, I don't know if you, Tom Steyer is one of the 24, you know, he's not on the debate stage. He's not going anywhere. But the interesting, you know, Steyer doesn't, I don't see anybody, you know, denouncing Tom Steyer on the Democratic side. He's just mostly being ignored. So it's very revealing. Similar guys, similar attitudes, but one guy turned into the national laughingstock. Um, and all because the, the remote possibility he could have cost Democrats the presidency. Yeah. Look, if you guys want to vent, go to Ralph Nader's yard or Jill Stein ah! or something. But Jill uh... Stein, what's she doing? Yeah, where'd she go? <laughs> well, her uh, flimsy recount lawsuit, uh, I guess, uh, fizzled out there a while back. In the back. Bahamas. That's where she is. <laughs> well, hopefully not last week. Let's talk about our crazy martini. Hurricane Dorian's been around a long time. It did officially make landfall way out there by the Outer Banks, but I'm guessing it was relatively unpopular. At least I hope it was at that point. 
President Trump, as we, I believe, mentioned on this podcast, decided not to go to Poland for the commemoration of the 80 years since the Nazis invaded Poland because he was going to stay home and he was going to monitor Hurricane Dorian because it was expected to slam right across Florida. That was the original projection as of last week. In fact, here's CNN from August 28th. This is Don Lemon and their weather guy. But there are many states that are under threat right now, Derek. At least six, from the Carolinas right through Georgia coastline into Florida, certainly, and then also even into the Gulf of Mexico, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. You need to be on the lookout. So that was August 28th. And so then the course changed. It took a hard right turn, so there was no direct landfall in Florida and ended up crawling up the East Coast. When President Trump was talking at FEMA on Sunday, he still talked about how Alabama was in the path of the storm. And by then, it no longer was. So then everybody's laughing at Trump, saying he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know where the storm's going. And so Trump, of course, can't take that lying down. So he goes back and finds all these charts, including yesterday, almost a week after the storm changed course, pointing out that there, yes, in fact, was a projection and a cone that had it going across Florida into the Gulf of Mexico and eventually up to the Gulf Coast and possibly affecting Alabama. And so he whips this chart out, this cone from the from the Hurricane Center, and uh, has this uh, chart from a week old, and he talks about it, and the cone doesn't actually hit Alabama, so he extended it with a Sharpie to hit the Alabama coast. We had actually our original chart was that it was going to be hit, hitting Florida directly. Maybe I could just see that, Kevin. Uh, it was going to be hitting directly, and that would have affected a lot of other states. Uh, but that was the original uh, chart. So, Jim, the kindergarten-style pettiness on all sides of this stupid controversy is just maddening. Because by the time Sunday rolled around... The projected course had changed, and Trump got it wrong. He would have been right a couple days earlier, but he wasn't right anymore on Sunday, and he can't admit that. Meanwhile, the media is pretending the path of the storm was never headed across Florida and into the Gulf, and because everybody's interested in scoring points, nobody can admit the real facts here. The hurricane's still hitting people, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> it's not like we don't have other things to worry about. Uh, apparently, President Trump called a uh, Fox News correspondent into the Oval Office after watching a 3 p.m. hit yesterday uh, and and said to him, I was not wrong about Alabama and blah, 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 blah. I see that, Greg, and I think the president seems to have a little too much time on his hands. I'd like to think commander-in-chief would have other bigger things to worry about than this. And, you know, this you know, Trump has this attitude of, I'm never going to make you know admit a mistake. I'm never wrong. It's stupid. It's heady. It's bad leadership. It get, You get sucked into these little side issues instead of focusing on what the actual problems are. But the media doesn't, you know, make itself look particularly good either. Because look, yeah, he put in a state in there that, you know, was it was an outdated projection. National Weather Service put out the correct information pretty quickly. People in Alabama can, can look at a map. People in Alabama were paying attention to the weather. There's no evidence that the Trump tweet or the Trump comment set off a uh, a panic or, or, or anything like that. Would you prefer the president of the United States gets his information up to date and accurate? Sure. But, you know, really in the end of it, um, better, better than he's listing too many states than too few states. You know, they say, oh, you know, uh, uh, North Carolina and Georgia are, are really in trouble, but South Carolina is going to be fine. And this has just turned into this week-long issue. And it's true, you know, Trump won't let it go, and the media loves to get into this, and it's turning into this feedback loop 
where it just, you know, the, the issue just goes bigger and bigger and bigger because Trump won't let it go and the media won't let it go. And in the end, I don't know how much anybody cares about, you know, whether Trump's initial list of states that could be affected had one too many. Guys, there are still people getting hit by the hurricane right now. Let's focus on that. But apparently I asked too much, Greg. Apparently you do. Although, you know who's really happy about all this? Sharpie, because apparently Sharpie sales have soared since this ridiculous controversy <laughs> erupted the other day. Okay, wait a second, Greg. So you're telling me there are consumers out there who didn't feel a need for a Sharpie. <laughs> they had, you know, pens, pencils, crayons, you know, others to Crayola. You know, they're, they're set. But all of a sudden there's a Sharpie controversy. And people are watching the news and say, hey, you know what? I need a Sharpie. Is that really how people make make these uh, kind of consumer decisions? Really? Is that all it does? <laughs> I heard it. There's a reference in the new Avengers movie where Tony Stark calls Rocket Raccoon, I thought you were a Build-A-Bear. <laughs> uh, reference to those little, you know, make your own teddy bear stores you often see at Shooters. Right. Apparently, there was a boom at Build-A-Bear <laughs> in, in like the, the couple months after the movie came out. Consumer behavior is fascinating, Greg, because people are like, oh, <laughs> That's a funny line. The raccoon does look. Hey, you know what? I'm going to take my kid to Build-A-Bear. <laughs> There's no marketing tie-in. Build-A-Bear wasn't an official sponsor, the official teddy bear maker of the, uh, you know, they weren't making little rocket raccoon dolls as far as I know. But people are like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, let's go do it. Maybe Sharpies will be the writing implement uh, comparable to Chick-fil-A. So now that uh, Trump is very much associated with the Sharpie, people who love Trump We'll have just a drawer full of Sharpies to be more like Trump. And then the people who hate Trump will throw away all their Sharpies. And anyone who has a Sharpie will officially be part of the problem. You know, the other leading brand marker company is looking at this and saying, ooh, there's there's potential here. (laughs) Don't buy those Trump affiliated Sharpie markers. Buy your new climate change friendly (laughs) markers. Oh, this is why we can't have nice things. But, Jim, we do still have the weekend, so enjoy yours, and we'll talk again on Monday. The Jets win. I'm gloating all day, Greg. (laughs) Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today, and be sure to tune in again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Have a good weekend, everyone.